You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, the Milwaukee Bucks have another national TV game tonight. Uh, is this good? I don't know if this is good. I was greeted by Giannis's, uh beautiful face uh, as a, with a huge pop-up when I went to ESPN.com about an hour ago. Just, that seems I was okay. At the home, I was at the homepage and then a big pop-up with Giannis. And it said, you know, the using the ESPN NBA graphics, you know, I think it said like either Greek Freak or Giannis X, whatever, Spurs, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, but yeah. so and I don't know if that's because, you know, they know by stalking me on the Internet that I love the Bucks or the NBA or what, or if they're just doing this for everybody who goes to ESPN.com. But that's that's pretty cool. But also, um, yeah. You know, we know we know what's going to happen. They're going to be on ESPN. People are going to complain about broadcasters, unless it's Doris Burke, because Doris is great. But yeah. um, and I don't know. Let's just say I I I I feel like, and I don't have any numbers to back it up, but I feel like recently national TV games, especially road games, really well, not even just road games, but just national TV games, I feel like have not treated the Milwaukee Bucks very kindly. So. I, I hope that that trend reverses, but obviously, even even a Kawhi Leonardless Spurs team um, is is very dangerous, as as we're about to discuss. Yeah, I was going to say, even obviously, everything on the internet stalks you, um, and I'm sure they know plenty about you. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, you don't even have Kawhi, and again, maybe Kawhi's not the most marketable guy, but he's at least has that name recognition for Spurs that are playing right now, like uh, Rudy Gay, Lamarcus Aldridge, Pau Gasol. Like, I'm not really sure where I go there. Um, so I I guess maybe it would just be Giannis greeting everyone uh, on ESPN.com because I don't, I don't really know who you'd choose from the Spurs. And, and I think that's a good way to lead into uh, this conversation about the Spurs as we get you ready for this game. We'll have uh, our mailbag coming up for you in a moment as we try to parse through the rest of the Eric Bledsoe stuff. Um, if you want to read something at work rather than listen to something, you can check out my article at ESPNWisconsin.com. Um, you can find that on my Twitter page as well, uh, breaking down Bledsoe as we try to figure out exactly how he'll fit in. Um, we are assuming he plays tomorrow night. I guess tonight, by the time you guys hear this, on Friday. We're assuming he plays. Uh, he was unable to practice today because Greg Monroe's physical was not yet done in Phoenix, and both physicals needed to be done before either of them uh, could practice. So Bledsoe came to Milwaukee yesterday to get his done on Wednesday, and then he flew to San Antonio on Thursday uh, to try to be with the team. Uh, but Monroe's was not done yet, so 
We'll see. I, I assume we'll hear tomorrow uh, in Jason Kidd's availability at Shootaround that uh, Bledsoe will be, will be available for the game on Friday, but that is just an assumption at this point. But I, I feel like it's a safe assumption. Yeah, and obviously uh, after the losing streak the Bucks have been on and a lot of frustration, um, although, you know, it's kind of ironic, right, because it's not like the Bucks have been just like total trash or something like that of late. Like, you know, they've been for the most part scoring pretty well. They've obviously kind of, kind of had hot and cold streaks from the three point line. But, um, you know, I feel like the, the recurring theme offensively for the Bucks has been, well, they've got, they've, they were getting some good looks, you know, I think with the exception of maybe, um, you know, like the, the game against the, the Celtics was underwhelming offensively. The second one, the game against OKC, I felt like OKC, really bottled him up to a large extent and you know even Giannis was defended really well and he still scored efficiently but um you know at least offensively you hope that they can kind of continue to what they've been doing that they continue what they have been doing um and you know it's interesting because normally a Spurs team is a team that you know you're going to have your work cut out for you defensively you know against a, a defense that typically has been phenomenal right you know you look at the Spurs defense, I'm not cleaning the glass, their, their you know, defensive numbers over the last five years. They've been top four every year in points per possession. They've been first, first, second, fourth, and third, going back from last year to the 12th, the 2012-2013 season. That's um, That's decent. That's decent. Um, but they are only uh, 14th this year. Um, they're allowing the 19th uh, worst, um, sorry, 19th best, um, effective field goal percentage, uh, not really great in any in any categories. Other than rebounding, they've been very good on the defensive glass, and they've also been very good on the offensive glass. So they're a team that's actually done both well. They obviously play pretty big with Lamarcus, Pau Gasol, uh, getting you know a lot of minutes, and and obviously they they tend to play bigger than certainly a team like the Cavs, which we just saw play only Kevin Love and still beat up the box on the offensive boards. <laughs> but um, but yeah, a different, certainly a different Spurs team without first and foremost, Kawhi Leonard, who I, I don't, I don't know when he's coming back because I don't know if the Spurs know when he's coming back. Yeah. He's been working back from uh, a quad injury, which started off as uh, he's probably not going to be ready for the preseason. And then he just hasn't gotten to where he's, you know, to the point that he can start, playing three on three let alone five on five or you know full practices and kind of get back and interestingly you know greg povich has implied that tony parker who you guys may recall last year's playoffs suffered an injury which looked like you know his leg blew up or something ended up being like basically just his quad exploded it sounded like and uh he's actually practicing on and off with the g league team um he actually sounds like he might come back before Kawhi, so I don't know. It sounds like Kawhi might be, you know, at best maybe a month away, and and who knows? I mean, it could be even longer. And um, but but here's the thing: if you're the Spurs, you have Greg Popovich, you don't have Kawhi Leonard, you don't have Tony Parker, Tim Duncan has retired, and you're still seven and four, riding a you know group of guys who, um, I mean, how many coaches would get a winning record out of this team right now? I, I don't know that many coaches Not that many. would, but yeah. Greg Greg Popovich, you know, as much as they're they're really an average team offensively, an average team defensively right now, um, but they still have a positive point differential. They've won three in a row, uh, all at home, uh, after they lost to the Warriors at home. Um, 
and you know they haven't played a cream puff schedule either so uh you know the spurs machine just kind of keeps churning out wins and, and maybe they're not gonna win 60 games this year but um just just remarkable you know what what they've been able to do from a cultural standpoint you know i mean the bucks obviously would kill to have the sort of coaching culture and and just team culture that the spurs have have built over the last uh, few decades but um you know it really shines through at times like this when you look at the roster and you say really those guys are winning all those games (laughs) i was looking at kind of their stat profile and uh the spurs without Kawhi leonard aren't a team i've really been searching out on my league pass if i'm being totally honest uh because uh, when I, I was lo- we were talking about this before we started recording, we're like, oh, wait, just wait, who's who's their starting lineup? And they've had four guys start the entire season every game, and that's uh, Gasol, Aldridge, Kyle Anderson, and Danny Green. And then uh, DeJounte Murray started the first seven games, and then Patty Mills now has started the last four games at point guard. And just looking up and down this roster, like, uh, one, you, you expect them to be, you know, uh, elite somewhere, but their offense rating is like 18th, their defensive rating is 11th, and you're just attempting to figure out how this team has gone 7-4, and four, and it's like, oh, okay, maybe if I look at the individual stats, that'll, that'll tell me something, and nope. Marcus Aldridge has 22 points per game, and then their second-leading scorer is Rudy Gay coming off the bench with 13.5 points per game. Danny Green has 11.6. He's third, and then Pau Gasol uh, at 10.3. And Manu Ginobili, I know I was thinking about picking him up in my fantasy basketball league. Uh, It's a deeper league, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll give Manu a little run. No, no, do not give Manu any run because he's shooting 17% from the three-point line right now. Um, He's wildly inefficient and I I have no idea. Like, I I just look at this. We just set up the Manu Ginobili mean reversion game. Right? I I think so. It almost has to happen now, right? He's going to hit like like four threes tomorrow and (laughs) we're just going to be like, of course, of course he had to start tonight. Yeah, so... Um, I don't know. You and it's a strange team. Like you have some older guys. Uh, obviously, Dejounte Murray, twenty-one years old, and started their first seven games. And uh, I, I'm very confused by this team. Um, and I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about them uh, tomorrow night because they, they've kind of and they've also had some ups and downs. Like they win their first four, they lose their second four. Uh, so four and four after eight games, and now they've rattled off three straight, uh, one over the Hornets, one over the Suns, and then uh, over the Clippers on Tuesday. So I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I'm not really sure what to expect with this team. I, I do know, though, that they'll have a good game plan ready for Giannis. I know that uh, they'll be able to get back in transition. I know that they're going to make it tough on Giannis um, just because of, like you said, that culture, that overriding culture uh, that exists with the San Antonio Spurs. So I'm looking forward to this game. Uh, I think it's another good test. I'm looking forward to getting to see hopefully getting to see Eric Bledsoe for the first time. I'd assume we will. Maybe he won't start because, I mean, I don't know if he's in game shape because he hasn't played a game in so long and he really hasn't been practicing with a, with a team or anything like that. So um, maybe he doesn't start 
and maybe that's pro- that's probably not even indicative of what his role is going forward. But just being able to see Eric Bledsoe on the floor, I think, would be pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I mean, again, like you know, it's rare that a guy just seamlessly jumps into a team and you know doesn't miss a beat, and especially given that he's hasn't been playing for what like a, a week or two weeks now. Two I think. Weeks, um, yeah. So who knows, right? I mean, he was going to start working up again at the Phoenix facility um, this week because he, you know, had basically been told to go home, and so. You know, you never know if his if his conditioning is going to be exactly where it needs to be. He may need uh, a game or two to really kind of get his legs again. But um, you know, I think that's a good reason, all told. You know, especially with Malcolm Brogdon playing the way he is. You know, show Malcolm some respect. I mean, don't don't give Bledsoe the starting job maybe right away, right? At least at least have bring Bledsoe maybe off the bench for the first <laughs> game. Um, kind of let him get his legs a little bit. Uh, and who knows? You know, maybe that makes the staggering easier if you have Bledsoe. I don't I don't know. It's gonna like yeah. I said. Uh, like I wrote today and like I've said I'm interested to see kind of how these experiments work because you have to kind of test some different things out and and see how both of these guys work in their respective roles and then how they work in the greater team framework and how Bledsoe fits in with the rest of the roster like there's a lot we don't know and I'm excited to find out any of those questions and maybe there aren't definitive answers but i'm excited to find out some yeah yeah absolutely and, and again like the more quickly you can get bledsoe playing and and starting to get some kind of rhythm with his teammates obviously that's ideal and we'll see we'll see how quickly it comes right i mean it's on the one hand it's hard to just expect a guy to kind of jump in and again just make kind of a seamless transition obviously we've discussed the bucks offense has been the good part of this team so far and Malcolm Brogdon has been a big part of that so yeah you know obviously you don't want to disrupt any of Malcolm's um rhythm by by putting him on the bench I think you know he did he was pretty candid that hey you know starting um is preferable it's easier probably because you know you're not coming in cold into the game um but you know again he's going to do whatever he needs to do and um so so obviously we'll kind of see how that works out but uh but yeah hopefully Bledsoe can can give some kind of of impact if nothing else um by you know again giving them some some good minutes and some more explosive minutes than uh Matthew Telvadova can give them and certainly uh taking the ball out of Delhi's hands not to beat up on Delhi constantly uh but uh that that would be a good thing and um yeah it's kind of funny because I was looking at the numbers here and you know the Spurs you know we still sort of have this image of the Spurs especially um the title team that beat the Heat and just how they were maybe the pinnacle of sort of passing unselfish basketball I mean with all due respect to the Warriors um the Spurs kind of did it with less, I'd say, just natural, crazy shot-making talent. Um, obviously, guys got really hot in that series, and that, that year they were just a great team, and they had a lot of good players. But, um, you know, they really kind of embodied that sort of modern basketball-type, you know, idea of passing quickly, um, you know, great shooting, and, and really it's way, just... It's way more impressive when you don't have arguably the three greatest three-point <laughs> yeah. shooters of all time. Like, that, that it's more impressive then. Yeah, Um but so it's weird because, you know, the Spurs have, I mean, this isn't like a, a brand new phenomenon, but I mean, the Spurs have really gone back to old school type basketball. And a lot of it's because, you know, especially now with Kawhi out, obviously Kawhi is a great shooter, but um, certainly with the Marcus Aldridge loving the mid range, he's shooting more threes this year, but um, they do tend to shoot more mid range shots. They don't shoot many threes. I mean, it's kind of crazy to see a Spurs team near the bottom of the league in three-point attempts. I mean, the Bucks take, I think, four three four more three-pointers per game than the Spurs. And 
you may not believe this, but the Bucks actually allow uh, a fraction of a three-pointer fewer defensively than the Spurs right now. So, You're right. I would not um, believe that. You would not expect that, but the Bucks are actually conceding fewer threes per game than the Spurs, at least attempts. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it is a, a different Spurs team. Um, and I think, you know... It, it's weird because I think if a random coach came in and was preaching a team play like this, you'd probably, everybody would say, you know, especially if they were, you know, middle of the pack, right. They would say, well, they're, they're, they're playing, you know, Cro-Magnon basketball. Like what are they doing? And, and obviously it's not like Greg Popovich has just turned this team into a grinded out, no passing, you know, team from the early nineties or something like that. But I, I think it speaks to pop and his flexibility that, you know, well, he's got big guys who are talented and um, who like to play from the mid-range, like to play from the block. Okay, I'll, I'll do that, you know? And yeah. um, it speaks to his flexibility. And obviously the fact that the Spurs haven't been great offensively this year, um, I think speaks more to probably that than, than you know, the talent level than, than Popovich being like, you know, not getting it or something like that. I think we're still a ways from, from saying Pop doesn't get it. But... <laughs> Still, um, you know, let's just say this. I, I prefer this type of Spurs team to uh, the kind yeah. of Spurs team that, you know, could kill you from the outside. So, um, again, you know, Rudy Gay has been really good for them. Aldridge has been good for them so far this year. Powell uh, continues to make shots. Um, you know, he's become that frustrating guy who I think I think he led the league in three-point shooting on a low volume last year, right? I think uh, I think you did last year. So, um so obviously any given night, you know, this is a team that can, can hurt you. Manu's going to have probably his, his mean reversion game <laughs> shooting the ball. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, again, I think probably the most interesting thing for me is just this is a team that starts two big guys. And um, I'm trying to think, have we seen any team start two big guys that are really comparable to Powell and and LaMarcus no. I, I wouldn't say so I mean the Celtics have Horford they started Horford and I think Daniel Tice that second game yeah. but you know I mean Horford is a actually was actually a really good matchup for Giannis and he obviously moves his feet well and he's a really smart yeah. defender Powell and LaMarcus like I don't I don't even know what are they even going to do there like are they really going to start those guys <laughs> I don't know it's it's obviously you, you trust pa, you trust that Pop will think of something to do but um, it's definitely a weird, uh, a weird matchup. I mean, do you put Danny Green on him and somehow? I, I don't know. I mean, are, you're not going to put like a big guy on Chris Middleton. So it's it's definitely a strange, uh, strange. It's going to be fun. Matchup. Like the the chess match there is kind of interesting too because with those two guys, Giannis needs to cover one of them. But the Bucks rarely like to have Giannis in spots where. He has to deny the basketball where he has to uh, attempt to play passing lanes. He has to be on the ball. Like They attempt to try to keep him off the ball so he can help out in all the ways that he's just fantastic in a Swiss Army knife. Uh, So where does he go defensively? And uh, does it even matter if he's going to put up 35 on the other end? Uh, And and the Spurs are going to struggle with him. So I don't know. It's going to be fun. Uh, maybe Kyle... I mean, Kyle Anderson's kind of long, but he's not strong enough for Giannis. And as I look through that lineup, who is for for, for that Spurs team? Like, I, I really have no idea uh, who that matchup is. And uh, funny enough that you mentioned that 
that finals because they were kind of the first team to be as disrespectful as any any team was against LeBron. And I would assume that's still kind of the defense most teams are thinking you should run uh, against Giannis, where you do try to give him so much space and so many helpers and and do a lot of that. So uh, maybe they're they're well-suited for that in in kind of more of a scheme look at it. But um, I don't know. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Um, But I think that's about all I got for this game because we got a whole bunch of a mailbag left to go. Uh, so we are going to give you all of that again. These are questions that you guys sent to us about questions you had about the Bledsoe acquisition. So again, this will be end up being three days of Bledsoe talk, but obviously this is this is huge, and I hope we we cover everything um, that you could possibly have wanted, had any questions about uh, in these last couple of days. So hopefully we've been able to do that. Uh, but we will talk to you actually. By, by the way, I I just need to, I need to add one thing and i'm surprised nobody called me out on this today but yesterday when we were talking about um win now trades and you know how the bucks for the most part have kind of avoided those kind of trades and i and i referenced the jamal mcglore trade there was a really obvious one that i just i mean again i wasn't planning to kind of go that angle but um but i completely forgot about the tobias harris one exactly and i and i'm like see i I thought i I figured i know it was so obvious. Who, it was yeah, so obvious that I figured you had like done like you were thinking of it in a different way. Like I, I didn't jump in with that one because I was just like, wait a second. Yeah. Well, you should have jumped in because I it just completely slipped my mind. But that that's obviously the the big one of the John Hammond era. Um, I'm trying to think times that the, I'm trying to think like there were probably two really bad deals in the Hammond era that involved them trading away first round picks. And that was that trade, which wasn't, I mean, again, Tobias was a, he was a rookie that, no, no, no. He was a second year guy that year. Um, and then, um, and then the Grievous Vasquez trade where they did actually trade a future first round pick. Um, those were kind of, the, I think, the, I think the two obvious examples during the Hammond era where they yeah. traded a young guy for, you know, basically an old guy. Um, but uh, but yeah, those those are definitely you know the two the two sore thumbs in in the Bucks attempts <laughs> to serve their two masters of winning now and winning later. Um, but uh, but yeah, so maybe somebody will now. Maybe I just missed uh, complaints. I, I don't know if I've checked our email today, but um, but yeah. So so apologies and and apologies if you justifiably were like shaking your fist at your podcasting <laughs> app yesterday. Um, but that uh, it's, it's kind of yeah. Well, I'm kind of in a desperate state right now because you know it's it's we're over a week into November. I mean, I'm I had an almond joy today. That's how deep oh, into wow. the uh, the leftover candy uh, I am. So there's just the the takes are going to be somewhat compromised at this point because I'm getting just oh, wow. you know bad. I'm at the bad end of the candy. Yeah, that's um, not great. Candy thing. So that, that is about as low as it can get. Let's that's, get it in. Bad. Let's get right. in this mailbag. We'll mail talk bag. to you. Uh, I think over the weekend, Bucks on Friday and Saturday. Um, we'll see if anything happens in those games that we want to talk to you right after. Otherwise, we'll talk to you on Sunday. For Frank, this has been Eric. This has been. I wish I would say this has been locked on Bucks, but this is about to be a mailbag. But this has been locked on Bucks. Enjoy the mailbag. We'll talk to you uh, after the weekend. All right. So we wanted to clean up some of the Bledsoe stuff. Um, hopefully, again, I'm going to say this and know that we will never in a million years do it. Hopefully, we'll keep it quick on these questions. Um, the first one from GFX Bucks 
does Bledsoe help our actual problems, which are defense slash rebounding? Frank, does Bledsoe actually help in those two categories or those two regards? Yeah, and let me pair this up. Um, Brad Magnus um, emailed us. Yes, we do check our email. Um, <laughs> Brad Brad asked us, and this is kind of related to some of the other questions we had, but Brad asked, do you see the Bucks making any more trades slash roster moves this year? No way they can roll just with Thon and Henson in the middle when they are dead last in rebounding. If so, who do you see them potentially adding? And I wanted to pair that together. Obviously, the, the root of the question is a little different, but um, I think we want to start, and I think a lot of people probably have gotten this from us, and we've we've kind of you know said it in different ways in the past. But um, rebound. This is kind of these litmus test things to me. Like when people say like they're good rebounding or bad rebounding, I don't. I, you have to break this out into offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding, and and you know we we talk a lot about the four factors, um, which again are are uh, the four you know, stats that Dean Oliver, uh, the legendary advanced analytics guy, one of the pioneers in, in it for basketball, um, he broke out uh, many years ago. And those stats are effective field goal percentage. So again, um, you know, the, the field goal percentage adjusted for three-point shots, um, offensive rebound rate, uh, turnover rate, uh, you know, again, percentage of, of possessions that are going to turn over, and then basically your free throw rate. So how often, you know, per shot, do you, per, per field goal attempt, do you, do you get a free throw attempt? And um, Also, before before you go, um, Dean Oliver wrote the book Basketball on Paper, and if you ever ask us questions about how do I get into basketball analytics, how do I understand more, that is how you understand more. That yeah. is, like, how you, point, that, yeah. that's how you begin to learn more about basketball analytics. So all these other things that we talk about, start with basketball on paper, move from there. Continue, Frank. Yeah, and um, and, and so I, I think the, um, you know, those are the, the quote-unquote four factors. Effective field goal percentage, has, you know, as they've done sort of studies of what correlates with actual, like, winning, um, effective field goal percentage has been only been the, the one stat that really dominates that, which makes some sense, right? It's like, well, how often does the shot go in the basket you know yep. adjusted for three-point shots um and the four factors it's really eight factors because you have this for both offense and defense yep. and so you measure offensive rebound rate for uh from the offensive side and you measure offensive rebound rate for the opponent which you know is just defensive rebound rate and um you know it's interesting because defensive rebounding has been a huge problem for the bucks for years and years huge. and years um, and and I, this is one area where cleaning the glass um, is actually a great site because they have um, stats going back over a decade that you can just easily see on one page um, and and just sort of see how uh, you know how a team has evolved over time and you can either easily see their their team ranking uh, over over that time and um, it, it's just very interesting to look because the Bucks defensive rebound rate since the eleven twelve season um, so even before Jason Kidd. Here, here's here are their rankings in in defensive rebound rate: twenty seventh, thirtieth, twenty ninth, twenty third, thirtieth, twenty ninth. And this season, it, interestingly, Ben's stats have them at twenty third in defensive rebound rate, which is bad, obviously. Um, interestingly, if you go to Basketball Reference um, and they use just all minutes available minutes, um, they have the Bucks at tenth in defensive rebound rate, which you may have heard us Whoa. reference. Uh, you may have heard us reference the fact that the Bucks are not actually ranking that low in defensive rebound rate. Um, and Ben, so Ben, it's it's kind of hard to parse out why the the huge difference um, because Ben Ben's stats. I know he does um, 
exclude garbage time um so late games that are have you know basically um large differences in score or, or when you know basically a bunch of starters are, are in the game against a bunch of reserves um he excludes that but i mean this is like a four or five percent difference um which is a huge difference so i don't know the it's a little hard to believe i think the eye test will tell you when you watch thon maker and john henson get pushed around that it's been a problem um or or that at least their centers are not good at it um mm-hmm. And so I think kind of like the direct question, and again, there's also kind of broader questions about, you know, the defense, obviously. And I think we've talked enough about that the last couple of days. You know, defense is just sort of where to begin, right? I mean, they're not necessarily getting crushed from the three-point line anymore, um, but they are giving up, you know, tons. Of their, their, the free throw rate they're allowing is horrible, um, yep. which, again, is, is sadly uh, nothing particularly new. So the free throw rate uh, allowed the last four years, 25th, 24th, 18th, and this year, 30th. So, again, too many fouls, too many free throws. Um, and interestingly enough, they were top seven in turnover rates for def- defensively. So the amount of turnovers they forced the three years before this, and that was obviously one of the big things that Jason Kidd's defense tried to do. This year, they're 21st in that. So they're not doing that well. And the most important thing, the effective field goal percentage allowed 26th, which obviously is bad. Um, and and well, the, one, the one silver lining there is, as I mentioned, um, they have sh- cut down their opponent three-point attempts a fair bit um and and i think they've i was gonna say and i think they've played i need to double check this but i think in their first 10 games they've played nine games against teams that are in the top 15 in three-pointers attempted um if that makes any sense um so they're take they're facing teams that take a lot of threes um so that again that'll even out over a longer stretch of, of time and maybe these 15 teams won't be in the top 15 anymore but uh they've taken they've played teams that enjoy doing that and taking those shots so that is encouraging but you're going to get also to why it's not as encouraging because they give up a million shots at the rim yeah and uh, so ben stats have them at 10th in terms of three-point field goals allowed um, which is encouraging because then we always say don't look at the three-point percentage as much because that tends to be defensively very random. Um, yeah. But you can control defensively how many threes you give up from an attempt standpoint. So the Bucks are actually like above average this year. They've been below average in the 20s the previous four years. Um, the downside is they are still relatively below average in terms of allowing corner threes, which are higher percentage shots than non-corner threes above the break threes. They're actually second in basically not allowing um, above the break threes this year. And they're actually 29th in terms of three-point percentage allowed. So they're allowing opponents right now to shoot 41%. And I know a lot of times you might say, well, they're just, they're bad because teams shoot a high percentage and they're wide open or something. But Typically, over time, the data says that's pretty random. Um, So, you know, last two years, they were 14th, 16th, the year before 8th. That's why a lot of times people say that they probably got lucky in terms of um, the defense in the one year that kids' defense performed well. It's because their uh, three-point percentage allowed um, was top 10, but they allowed a ton of threes. They were 29th in three-point rate allowed. So so anyway, you would hope that over time, um, the three-point percentage allowed would go down. Last year, they were at 36.1%. The year before, at 35.8%. This year, almost 41%. So, you know, 4% decrease um, on, you know, close to 33s a game. That's like 
more than one three per game that you know opponents are hitting that maybe is is kind of luck which is again that's three three plus points so it's a it's a real number um now again don't take this as me saying that the defense is fine and everything's great because (laughs) um the the the, the if there's one thing frank is saying (laughs) it is not that the the rim numbers are atrocious and this is really the the this is the biggest stain i think on this defense is it's like okay stylistically you're almost you're almost condemning yourself to give up more threes, which you know on its surface is is bad enough, right? In this day and age, to to yeah. intentionally play a defense like this, but the whole point is you take away other stuff, and this is the whole thing of like you don't you're not taking away other stuff. They're thirtieth in percentage of shots allowed at the rim. They were twenty eighth last year. They were thirtieth the year before that. They were twenty seventh in kids' first year. And ironically, this the three years before Kid arrived, they were twenty seventh, thirtieth, and twenty seventh. So this has been just a horrible uh, trend that has continued over you know uh, a complete turnover of the roster. For some reason, this is just always an issue with the Bucks, and and that's a big problem because again, you allow a ton of shots at the rim, even if you defend them relatively well. They're they're fifth in defense at the rim percentage wise. Yeah. They're just easy shots. So. Um, so I think that that's a long way of saying kind of framing what the problem is. Um, does Eric Bledsoe actually help these problems, defense and rebounding? Well, he is a pretty good defensive rebounder. So, I mean, he won't hurt you in that regard, especially I think Brogdon as well has, has been surprisingly bad, at least as a rookie. He was bad in terms of rebounding. Um, so I think maybe he helps a little bit there. Um, and defensively, I think he will help um, because, again, what we mentioned about his strength, his athleticism, um, he's a guy that, you know, if you, especially if you go to a more switching system, um, he can be good in that way. And, again, if you are going to play this sort of chaotic defense, um, he's probably going to create some steals that, that Brogdon and, and Della Vadova don't. Um, but, again, is he going to solve? I, I think he can help the problems defensively. Yeah. Running. Is he going to solve them, which GFX Bucks use the word help, so I'm saying solve. He will definitely not solve them. Um, I think that's a, a more you know, broader problem that we've talked about a lot. But I think he, yeah, will he help? I think so. He is not the defensive savior. No. That, that, is, no that is not going to happen. And I would also say that that's especially not going to happen from even even if he is a top three point guard defender, that is not where you find massive value as a defensive player. If you're ranking kind of where the value is, it's obviously rim protectors are, are very high, and we've always all I mean we talk about that all the time about who can protect the rim. That's why Larry Sanders all caps exclamation point was a thing. That's why you're always after that, and that's why it, it can be so impressive that Giannis can do that uh, at such an impressive rate. But you're starting at the rim, and then you're going to the guys on the wings that can wreak havoc, uh, a guy like Kawhi that can do it, uh, Chris and Giannis, who, who can both do that at the, at, on the wings as well, where they're able to create steals, uh, get tip balls, do a lot of that. So you, that's where, to me, most of the value defensively comes from, is at the rim, on the wings, and then point of attack defense from point guards is helpful um, and obviously that's going to help because point of attack has been such a huge problem uh, the last two years with this Bucks team just because you don't have the guys with quickness that you're going to see around the league. You'd, no matter what Malcolm Brogdon does, he's just never going to have that top-end 
quickness. Uh, it's just not going to be there. And again, he's he's improved a ton uh, from year one to year two, but that's just not something he has. Delhi obviously does not have that. Uh, so having Bledsoe should help at the point of the attack and at the point of attack. And when you you look at what they've done wrong, it, it's a lot of the pick and roll defense. It's a lot of actually being able to stay in front of guys, being able to contain guys. Eric Bledsoe should help in that regard. So um, yeah, I think you're right in saying what GFX said was help. And yes, he will help, but solve is probably not what will happen. Um, and then the other thing I was going to add on defensive rebounding is. I will say, sure, the bigs are not great at it. Uh, Henson and Maker have struggled uh, with that thus far this year. But I think you do have to look at the other players and kind of... Uh, it's it's not Russell Westbrook getting free throw rebounds, and I know we've talked about that before, but it's essentially the same idea where, okay, John Thon, take care of your responsibility box your guy out, get a body on him, and then Giannis is going to come in and clean everything up, and he's going to go out, and he's averaging 9.8 rebounds this year. That's up one from last year. Chris is going to grab some, and he's averaging six this year, and he averaged 4.2 last year. So the Bucks are asking different guys to grab those rebounds instead of that center, like Dwight Howard, who's going to go out and grab 22, Andre Drummond is going to grab 20. Like That isn't what the Bucks are expecting their centers to do, and if guys like Giannis and Chris can help out and even to that same extent if Eric Bledsoe can be one of those guys that he's a guy that's grabbed some rebounds um, in the past in some of the his previous desti- or his previous uh, places and teams that could be something that you look at uh, those two other guys being able to help out the centers so um, help not solve um, let's and, go and to well. Let 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 me finish that out. So we we talked about defensive rebounding, the broader defensive scheme. Just a quick note here. So when people say the Bucks are last in rebounding and aggregate rebounding, the the big problem for the Bucks is they really don't even try to get offensive rebounds at this point. Um, and oh, did you read? I tweeted out some coaches' notes the other week. Um, there was a coach from the University of yes, Windsor. I think I saw it was. That. It was interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll see if I can find it and tweet it out again. Um, but the University of Windsor, which I think is a Canadian university, and I don't know how he got hooked hooked up with NBA teams, but he went to a couple different NBA pra- practices, and he said that uh, he was just taking notes on different rules that teams have, different things that they uh, subscribe to and think about. And one of the rules the Bucks have is that if you are outside the three point line when the shot goes up on offense, you get back. So if you're watching a Bucks game and you're thinking about, oh, man, why didn't Giannis crash or why did they backpedal there instead of going after that rebound? Well, think about where they were on the floor and think about if they were behind the three-point line. If they were, that means in the Bucks kind of team strategy that they're going to get back. And I saw that note, and then I started to watch for it this year, and it is true. <laughs> um, you'll if you just put that in your head as you're watching you'll kind of see that exact thing play out on each shot 
from the Bucks. So um, I'll see if I can find that again. And there's some other stuff in there that's kind of interesting. But to me, that was the most interesting note. So yes, they totally punt on offensive rebounds. Yeah, and so they're dead last in offensive rebound rate, uh, the offensive four-factor version of it. Um, and, the, you know, in large part because of that, they're also dead last in sort of total rebounding. But it, it's kind of, app- I mean, to me, I just view it as apples and oranges. And that, that goes also for players, right? Like some players, just because of the way they play, like will be very good defensive rebounding. Some yeah. guys are much better offensive rebounding. You know, it, it really kind of depends. Um, Thon obviously is challenged to be an offensive rebounder just because he's spending so much time on the perimeter um and so he's not even really around the basket as much henson you know you expect to be a, a better offensive rebounder now you know it's not to excuse like thon being such a poor defensive rebounder i mean a lot of that is just because you know this combination of the fact that he's not strong and he has bad hands and you know it, he's just not getting in the position to, to get defensive rebounds i mean john henson's defensive rebound rate 29 percent of available rebounds uh thon maker 11 0.4%. So, um, you know, again, Henson's numbers have been very good uh, when he's been on the court from a rebounding perspective. Um, but last time I checked, I mean, the Bucks were not actually terrible as a team when they defensive re- from a defensive rebounding perspective with Thon on the court. Um, I, I don't know if that's changed in the kind of the week since I last checked. But, um, but yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, you know, one of those things that I worry about defensive rebounding because I worry about this team's defense, right? Um, and, and certainly I think that's a question. I think we had a, maybe some other questions about this as, as well. But, um, I mean, in terms of roster moves, I think we had let – me, let me kind of try to bundle up some of these questions. Um, Eric uh, – I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong – Eric Ciora, um, thoughts on a potential Okafor trade that some national guys have brought up. Um, so again, that's obviously one name that we've had a few people ask, and I made some smart ass comments the other day about. Uh, <laughs> someone asked me why uh, why oh, I said Okafor wasn't a great fit for the Bucks or wasn't a good fit for the Bucks, and somebody said why wouldn't he be a good fit for the Bucks? And I said because the Bucks play in the NBA. <laughs> um, that's a pretty good line. Yeah, but my it's it's it, that tweet kind of took a life of its own on. I, it was kind of weird. Like a, it got like a few hundred like favorites or likes or whatever, and I was just like. Well, okay, I guess that resonated with people. Um, people always like kicking dirt on uh, Jaleel Okafor, I guess. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it sort of let me just talk about Jaleel. So first off, Jaleel Okafor, talented guy, obviously. Um, but a guy that and a guy who who scored pretty well uh, for Philly, especially in his rookie year when he actually played a fair bit, um, has been really marginalized, especially over the last year. Had some injuries as well, um, but you know, again, has been a really poor rebounder, uh, especially defensive rebounder since he came uh, into the league. Wasn't great in college either. And you know, the big thing is he just, he just doesn't seem to get how to play defense at the NBA level, and he's you know not really doesn't really have necessarily the physique in terms of you know athleticism and foot speed to project to be a very good defender um, from the center position. So you know, again, I am extremely biased towards the question of how do we make the Bucks a better defensive team first and foremost, and the idea that like oh they're they're not going to be able to score enough um, is a far 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 down my list of concerns for the Bucks. Um, again. I agree that they could use some more offensive firepower. Um, but man, if this if the bench gets going, man, I, they might be a top five offense by the end of the month. We'll see. I mean, I think everybody's really excited to see how much Bledsoe can inject in terms of you know shot creation and in terms of propping yep. up some of those you know lineups where Giannis and Chris are not playing together because um, that's where they've had all these issues. Um, yep. 
But yeah, I, Okafor doesn't really interest me just because, again, yeah, I get it. He's young and, and he's talented, um, offensively at least. But, you know, again, I mean, they figured out how to get the most out of Greg Monroe. But, um, you know, and let me let me piggyback this with um, a question from Greek Freak Geek. He says, on the flip side, how does Monroe's departure affect the team? Seemed well-liked amongst the team, particularly with Middleton and Brogdon. Um, you know, Monroe was effective for a few reasons, right? Um, a, he was, yes, a good offensive player, and that's where the comparisons to a guy like Julio Okafor come from um, in a bit of a throwback way, right? But that was yep. useful in terms of the Bucks being able to get him going with second units. And, you know, especially last year when Giannis was not so confident, not so effective as like sort of an ISO, um, you know, type guy who could just create shots on his own all the time. Um, I think that was especially helpful. Um, but Greg was also a pretty good rebounder, and Greg was also a pretty good passer. And I think maybe the most underrated team or underrated thing which could affect the team is, I mean, he was a he was a guy that was a locker room leader for them, and yep. he didn't always mesh well with Jason Kidd. But you know, no disrespect for that. Like I'll probably go with Greg Monroe's view of the world over Jason Kidd's. Um, and he was a guy that you know he was the enforcer. He didn't take shit off anyone. You know, and yeah. and that was really something great to see. He kind of, so, I was gonna say, someone asked me last night like. Now that Monroe's gone, who's the enforcer? Because I think there's like a hard fall on Giannis, and I was like, "Oh shit, who is the enforcer?" Yeah, because like one to be a good enforcer, you need to be on the floor. Um, so though DeAndre Liggins may be uh, a tough guy and willing to mix it up, he's rarely going to be on the floor. And yeah. kind of like the same thing with Delhi. Like, sure, Delhi will mix it up, but. No one's scared of Delhi. Like you also need to have some intimidation factor as an enforcer. Um, I don't think Delhi has that. And then as you go through the lineup, it's like, oh, I don't know who the enforcer is on this team. Uh, so yeah, I think that is a big thing. Uh, I tweeted it out. I talked about it on the pod orig- our, our emergency pod originally. Greg was just a, a great guy and one of the guys in the locker room that kept it light. He was always someone that was willing to tell a joke, even though he is a, a little bit of a quieter guy. He he was one of the guys that kept it light. Is was a guy that everyone could lean on. Uh, I said I said too that Greg obvi- things didn't go his way in Milwaukee. They didn't go how he wanted them to, but. He never turned anyone down for an interview. He was always very professional. Like he was that example for those guys. As crazy as that sounds, because he's still super young, um, but he was the guy that kind of showed all those guys that okay, well, if there's a bad game tonight, you still got to talk to the media. Um, you still have to act like a professional. You still have to handle your business. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I thought Greg set a, a wonderful example of that because. <laughs> Jason Kidd messed with them all the time. Uh, there, there was random DMPs and stuff like that. So I think that will definitely affect the team, just kind of his vibe. And I know that was what uh, the Greek freak geek was after, like asking how that may upset people and maybe how people felt about him personally. And I know last night after the game, uh, Giannis was asked about him, and he said right away, like, oh, man, my guy, like, Moose. And you could tell like that that one's probably going to hurt a little bit. But um, that is the business. That's how it goes. Um, and as far as how it affects the team performance-wise, um, I think we talked about it a little bit. Greg was obviously the guy that last year got those bench units going. This year they've lacked that. Um, and I think the hope would be that whether it's Bledsoe or Brogdon getting more of that time with the bench unit or um, – 
the the pairing of Bledsoe and Middleton and Giannis and Brogdon with with those bench guys like I think that's that's kind of the hope that they fulfill the role that Monroe filled well last year being able to create offensively and being able to get something going um, with those bench units so we'll see if they can do that yeah and i think when people talk about bench units i think too often like we we kind of get conditioned i fall in this trap too it's like you you try to think of like five bench guys together and <laughs> never and it's never that way yeah and like as much as you complain about jason kidd i mean even jason kidd doesn't like play lineups with without either chris or Giannis. you know and and i think i mean you know, uh, to to his credit i think there's pretty much never a time where one of Chris or Giannis isn't on the floor. And there's plenty of just hopping around on League Pass. There are plenty of teams that have times when both stars that they have aren't on the floor. And it's just like, what? What, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Why, why yeah, would you I mean, ever the, do that? Well, the most famous example was Scott Brooks, you know, used to play yeah. minutes in Oklahoma City without either Durant or, or Westbrook, which is always just crazy because both those guys are such high-usage guys. You'd want to play them to, uh, yeah. separately as much as possible. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you're always going to get – and now with Bledsoe, you're always going to get – or you should always get, you know, when healthy, either, you know, some combination of Brogdon or Bledsoe with – Chris or Giannis, right? And and obviously to open and close games and start third quarters, you're going to get Chris and Giannis together. Um, and so I think that's really the question is like, okay, as you try to think about bench units, think about picking two, you know, one guard, one one of the forwards, and then like who fits around those guys. And obviously we've talked a little bit about like maybe Bledsoe in terms of second units, maybe Bledsoe with Chris and then pick, you know, pick your other three guys makes more sense. And then if you can get more of like Malcolm and, and Giannis together. Um, but, but who knows, right? I mean, like Bledsoe's pick and roll uh, options with Giannis could actually be really interesting. So maybe, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, and, and whatever there, all these guys are going to play together for a bit. So, um, but yeah, I think that's the question, right? Is like, you know, and, and especially in this offense, which, you know, has especially maybe not as much this year, but past years, like to kind of just throw it down to the post and just do that, you know, which yeah. obviously a lot of people weren't fans of, but with Greg, it worked well. I mean, the offense, especially last year, it worked very well with him being oftentimes the focal point of, of second units. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the question, right? Is it kind of weaning yourself off of this, you know, more uh, lineups that, that were at times sort of center dependent from an offensive perspective, which isn't sort of typical, but obviously the league is moving away from that and, and the Bucks with, you know, this increased emphasis on shoot three point shooting, obviously they're, they're moving away from it as well. All right. Uh, two more that we can group together. And then I think we'll, we're only going to have one more after that. Um, Eric Grappi asks, who do you think is going to be the best big guy that protects the paint who could be traded for Delhi or at least get roster slash cap space. Greg asked something similar similar um i wanted to ask you too what are the odds that Mirza's hot shooting makes con his contract tradable without attaching assets not looking for a big return obviously but just to get him off the books um so let's let's group all of those three contracts together delvadova toledovich and henson and with doing that i will say this i think the chances of trading henson or delvadova in any way to get cap relief um unless it's very very slight cap relief seems incredibly unlikely to me that third year that each of them have on their contract is incredibly unattractive to anyone looking to take on salary um 
just because you don't want to have that third year commitment. It's just, it's really difficult to have the flexibility that you want as a team if you take that on. So I think that one is incredibly unlikely. Maybe there's a world out there where if Toledovich keeps shooting as well as he does, uh, that you could trade him. He does just have this year and next year on his contract left. Um, and like we said at the time, like it's it's definitely not a great contract, but it's not totally unreasonable. It is not outlandish. Uh, so again, maybe maybe there's a deal there, but uh, this is a question I get somewhat regularly, so I just want to make sure that we, we let people know. That's generally how I feel, that Henson and Delhi are just about untradeable, um, and Toledovich may be tradable, but still unlikely. Um, would you agree with that? Well, I mean, and untradeable in the sense of untradeable for cap relief, right, without yeah. attaching assets. Uh, obviously, you know, you could probably get, you know, if you wanted like a different position uh, player or something like that that similarly had you know similar money similar length on their deals I'm, I'm sure you could move those guys right like it's not like they're cancerous players who you know are the worst you know the, the worst values in the league or something like that yeah. i mean you know you, you could move them for something um but is it going to get you the the to the broader goal of of clearing cap space no you'd have to really add you know some kind of asset and by the way a couple things on this. So, um, and and Ben Falk actually pointed this out in his article that um, the fact that this future pick has all these, um, can you know, it's conditional, does limit them a fair bit and sort of like what they can do. Like the Bucks can't go out and and from everything I understand, you know, the Bucks can't go out at the trade deadline and say, hey, uh, take Della Vadova and a future first, which you know is. Uh, this pick, which if it doesn't go to the Suns this year, um, I, I, from what I understand, I don't think that's that's possible because um, there is this rule in the NBA you can't trade two, you can't basically be without a first round pick and two consecutive future drafts, and because of the way this this deal is constructed, like you know, if they don't, if they give up their, for instance, if they give up their pick in this year's draft, um, they could also be in line to lose their pick next year because of this. This draft could also the the pick that went to Phoenix could also be you know conveyed next year if not this mm-hmm. year so it it kind of hamstrings them a bit in terms of trading future picks which maybe not is, is is maybe not the worst thing in the sense that um, the original rule was intended so that teams didn't go off and trade all their future first round picks um, for you know bad sort of short term moves and obviously you know we've talked about the Bucks you know the value of first round picks and and even on you know good and contending teams are they're very important. Um, yep. But that said, there is a little bit of a workaround because, you know, if, for instance, um, this is for future picks. So if the Bucks go into draft night and they work out a deal to trade Della Vadova and their pick to another team, um, you know, everything from my understanding is they could work this out and then make the pick. And then the next day or July 1st or whatever it might be, um, they could then trade the rights to the player that they picked, um, you know, as part of like a salary dump deal or something like that. So I think there are kind of ways you can get around this but yeah you couldn't you know like it is constraining because we don't know when that pick is going to convey and if anybody knows that rule differently feel free to let me know but i'm pretty sure that's the correct interpretation um the other thing too um i would agree mirza especially if he shoots well maybe there's some scenarios where um you know you could trade him i don't think you're necessarily going to trade him for an expiring contract um I, again that's kind of tough i think 
you know, for the most part, I think you have to look at these players and figure out how do you make the best of them and do they have a role on this team in the you know next year or two um, that you can at least play them and get value from them and you know does that help their value i think Toledovich certainly is going to play as long as jabari parker's hurt um jabari you know Toledovich certainly will have minutes that he can make the most of um and actually as we were talking about this um we had another question um which i'll tie in here um which was from brock sobieski and, and brock uh, emailed us at lockdownbox at gmail.com and he wrote one i'm testing if you actually check this account so yes brock <laughs> <laughs> do check that account uh, in your face <laughs> no not in brock's face brock's brock's a, brock's a loyal listener um and two uh brock and his buddies were talking about mining the kings for centers so brock asks a which one is realistic to get b which would you like to have most c do you think any of those guys would move the needle for us and d what would we have to give up um the kings have a ton of centers even since demarcus cousins has left um the guys that I would consider centers uh, on that roster are Willie Cauley-Stein, Costa Kufos. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is still on his rookie deal. Costa Kufos has uh, this year and a player option next year at a little over $8 million. Um, You also have Scalabissier, who's, I guess, I think they play him a lot as a power forward. But, you know, again, looking ahead long term, I'd probably consider Scal more of a center. Um, he's in the same draft class as Thon, as you guys recall. Um and then they have Georgios Papianis, who similarly was a, a lottery pick last year. Um, he's probably the guy I have absolute the least interest in. And did I forget any other? Oh, Harry Giles, I guess you could consider a center. He has not played mm, at all yeah. this year. He's a rookie that you guys might remember from the draft talk, former very high, highly touted pick who um, had a bunch of knee problems, and I guess he's not even playing right now. So, um, Eric... You take first crack at this. Uh, who could you realistically get? Who would you want to get? Uh, and, and I don't know, are there any deals that you think might be had here? Um, well, let's see. Kufos, what was that, an 8-ish? I guess that would fit in. I'm trying to think what the King's salary cap situation is. Um, but I think you could make that work with... Uh, with a deli deal, with uh, uh, I guess if you thought that was a better fit than Tladovich, a Tladovich deal again, all and I guess even Henson to an extent, all those guys are are kind of in that range, but you'd have to convince them that they would rather have one of those three on their roster than uh, Kufos, and you'd also have to convince them that uh, they that they want another year that if they want to take on that Henson or Delhi deal, um, that they would want another year, which seems unlikely, especially with De'Aaron Fox at, at the point guard position. So um, that one might work out. I don't know if that's even all that interesting to me. Um, I think Willie Cauley-Stein is probably the one that's interesting to me, just because uh, Bissier is kind of coming into his own. I know he had a great month at the end of the year last year, and again, you don't really know what anything post-All-Star break means, um, but I, I do think that might render uh, render Willie Cauley-Stein maybe not as attractive to the franchise, so um, maybe that would be the guy that I would go after, But but again... You have to find a way to make this work, and you have to find a way to make your guys attractive to them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Kufos is kind of the most like boring, but also the the most sort of like easily 
to value guy in that group. Um, and I haven't looked at what he's done this year, but I've always kind of liked Kufos. I mean, you know, and he's not like a great defender. He's not a great offensive player, but he's solid on both ends. And, you know, honestly, on, on a team like the Bucks, like, again, you're not looking for like a really extreme Jaleel, for me at least, you're not looking for like this extreme kind of like Jaleel Okafor one-way type guy who you have no idea how he's going to mesh with them. I mean, I'm not that worried about like, could you mesh a guy like Costa Kufos with this team and just get some minutes out of him? Um, and, you know, again, year this year and next year, um, but yeah, I mean, like, are they going to want to take an extra year of John Henson for him? I doubt it. Um, my, my only thought was, you know, if if you did value, if you really th- thought you needed another big guy, um, you know, maybe Toledovich, right? Because they have the same number of years left, comparable dollars. Toledovich is a little bit more expensive. Um, but that that's the kind of trade that would save you, I think, about a couple million. You, you know, you can legally trade them one for another, um, but you could shave a couple million dollars off your salary cap next year by trading, you know, Toledovich, who makes a little over $10 million for, for Kufa who makes you know between eight and nine so um that could have some cap appeal even though it's not a straight up salary dump and again if you you know really think you need uh you know another body uh, at center maybe maybe that guy you know might be of interest um i I think i'll say this though like you know you're kind of creating the same problem though for yourself right because then you've got three centers who theoretically you want to play and so i don't know kufos is it would be interesting to me like I, i would happily get rid of you know, Henson to get Kufus just to get something, someone I feel I can trust a little bit more. But, um, but if you then just go into a position of having three centers that you feel like you have to play, like that's maybe also not ideal. Um, so yeah, I mean, the only other guy that, um, I find very interesting there is, I mean, Kali signs interesting, but, um, he had some red flags, I know going to the draft a couple of years ago, um, that I think based on his background were some concerns. I don't know if that stuff has been alleviated or not. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, he has, I don't know, for better or worse, shades of Larry Sanders. Um, I don't know anything about his personality beyond just hearing some potential concerns. Um, but uh, but Scal's, I think, probably the most interesting guy. Um, interesting, I think, you know, last end of last season, I'm sure most Bucks fans would have, wouldn't have traded Thon for Scal. Um, I'm not sure if people would feel the same way now, just because I think Scal just, I think, looks to have just a lot more offensive upside and and just feel for the game than than Thon does. Although Scal is is not necessarily the kind of kind of guy who's like looking for his three point shot, even though he does seem to have good touch. Um, so anyway, I, I feel like we've talked too much about uh, uh, <laughs> the Sacramento, oh, the Sacramento Kings. Um, is, are there any other are there any other centers are there any other centers you can think of that you would um, that you would want to pursue. I mean, I don't know. Like, I just find it so depressing thinking about like Kyle Quinn's a guy that always gets lobbied, yeah. uh, lobbed about. Um, I don't know if I necessarily like him all that much, um, but that is always someone that tends to get brought up when you're looking for cheap options uh, that you might have some interest in. But that's about it. And overall, like I said the other night, I'm. I'm not all that interested in finding another center. Um, if the Bucks are forced to play more center Giannis, I'm more than happy to see it happen. Let's hit up this last question. It is from Patrick Nellen on Twitter. He said, uh, just listened to the pod and had a quick question. You guys seem surprised that Chris posted 11 assists yesterday, averaging 5.5 per game. Do you expect those numbers to go up or down with Bledsoe? And I would imagine Chris gets the green light with the defense focusing on Eric Bledsoe. 
One, how dare you suggest that I'm surprised that Chris <laughs> Middleton had a love assist game. Um, I was celebrating that fact uh, because it is something that I do think he does extremely well. Um, I would expect his assist numbers to go down a little bit. Um, I would hope, and it's something I mentioned again last night, that yes, Chris does have the green light. And uh, I think I said on Twitter that he should wake up every morning with someone telling him, you are the baddest dude on the planet. You are a career 40% three-point shooter. If you are open, shoot it every single time. It is the best shot we can get. Even though that's not true. A Giannis dunk is the best <laughs> shot they can get. But a Chris 3 is not all that far behind on the list of good shots the Milwaukee Bucks can get. Um, so I hope at some point in his career someone tells him that. And I, I guess watching the Bucks this year, I just wish someone would put all of his end-of-game threes on loop where he just decides, okay, I have the ball, we're down, um, I'm going to dribble here, maybe a little bit of step back, and just boom. Like he had one against the Cavs the other night where it, it, I feel like it was in the air for half a, a second. Tenth, like a, I was going to say a tenth of a second. It was like, like it a was, missile. It was in immediately, and he had one of those uh, against the Hornets, and it's just like, Chris, that's how you should play all the time. Like you should always come off screens thinking, I'm going to shoot this because this is a good shot. Um, and I mean, I was just watching the Warriors while we were recording this. That's what Clay does. Like Clay's gonna come off that screen and think about how he's getting off his three. And you're six foot eight. Like you should do that uh, a lot more. So um, that would be my hope that with Bledsoe now you'll see Chris move a little bit off ball. Obviously, we've talked about how maybe he's not the best number two option. Um, and if he can move down to two B, or he can move it into the the number three guy role um, and just start bombing away from three, that would obviously be something that I'd be very excited about. But yeah, I would expect his assist numbers to go down a little bit, and maybe blood cells to bump up some. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's all relative, right? I mean, you know, Delhi uh, didn't play a ton, but I think Delhi was has been putting up pretty high assist numbers per per yep. minute. Um, Brogdon's not a huge assist guy per minute, um, just because, you know, he, he's not always initiating cause he's, you know, on the floor with Chris and Giannis so much. So he's, he's not, you know, kind of typical point guard in terms of how much he gets to play make. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, well, what do you, so if Eric blood, let's say Eric Bledsoe plays 32 minutes per game, what, what would you, I mean, what would you even expect from him statistically? We haven't, we haven't talked about this, uh, but I don't know. I mean, like, Dang, what, yeah. what, like, what is, what would be, and I don't want to say like, what is success? Cause obviously like raw points per game numbers are, you know, can be very deceiving in terms of how well a guy's playing, but you know, in terms of what fans should expect from him, like how big of a role he's going to have. Um, I know, uh, Matt Velasquez wrote a story today in the journal Sentinel about it a little bit. And, um, you know, I don't know. It seemed a little vague as far as what, how they'll how they'll use blood so i think the assumption is he'll start i think that what well, you i know you had a poll today on twitter as well that most people preferred blood so and i believe snell starting and brogdon to the bench and you know brogdon kind of said the right things today about coming off the bench if needed but um yeah i mean I, let's say he plays 32 minutes a game or something like that i mean what what do you, what numbers do you think eric Bledsoe puts up so right now in 33 minutes a game 33.6 minutes a game malcolm brogdon is averaging 16 points five assists and two rebounds i mean 
I don't imagine Giannis's usage rate going down a whole lot. Um, maybe you steal a point or two from Chris, um, and maybe you steal an assist from Chris, but I, I don't know that I can imagine Bledsoe putting up 20 a game. Like, that doesn't seem quite right to me. Um, so, I don't know, 15... 15, 4, and 4, maybe somewhere around there. Um, and maybe some hope that there's like a, two steals per game in there. Um, if he can get those steal numbers up, that would be obviously great because turnovers is a place they've been lacking, um, creating those defensively. Yeah, it's funny you wrote off Brogdon's numbers because I was not looking at Brogdon's numbers, but maybe mentally I was anchoring on those because like in my head when I asked you that question, the, the numbers that came to my mind were like 16 and 5, something mm-hmm. like that um i mean worth noting so bledsoe in phoenix um you know where he he you know was the first time he got to start anywhere since he was a backup in la before that um you know in his four years there his points per 36 uh 19 18 21 and a half and 23 last year um so you know fair bit of variance and keep in mind those first i think was it the first two years he was playing with Dragic, or maybe just the second year first um, two. yeah so he was like 18 to 19 per 36. Uh, so if I was saying 32 minutes, you know, shave off uh, a point or two. Um, and then uh, his assist numbers in that period, six assists, 6.3, 6.5, 6.9. So always kind of between six and seven, um, which, you know, again, kind of in that range where it's not like he's super high, you know, playmaking uh, from uh, from an assist perspective, but, um, you know, not certainly not bad um, by any stretch. Um, a high turn, he has been a high turnover guy though. Um, has always been between three and a half and, yep. and 3.7 turnovers per per 36. So that is, is one of the downsides which we didn't talk about yesterday. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, if he, I think the, probably the toughest thing to figure out is what happens also when Jabari comes back. Um, and again, maybe not even so much Jabari Parker this year, but if, you know, Jabari Parker is presumably back um, the year after, um, I don't know. What does that player, you know, what is what is Jabari's ceiling as a scorer on a team that, you know, includes Giannis being a superstar plus Eric Bledsoe plus Chris Middleton? I mean, I think the interesting thing is Jabari Parker is probably less essential to your team, you know, just from, from a scoring standpoint, if you have Eric Bledsoe being healthy and, and being able to look like the guy we've seen in past years. But um, I don't know. that That's a whole nother can of worms. So I, I'll say... I'll say sixteen and and five and change. Um, so, but All right. who knows? I just want to watch. Right. I just want to watch basketball, right? I mean, let's just watch some damn basketball. I I am totally with you on that, Frank. By the way, did uh, we say that he completed his physical today? Did we actually note that? Because obviously, we raised it the other day that that was not a completely trivial thing to have done given his yeah I, I know i don't know if he i know matt velasquez reported that he was in milwaukee doing it i didn't see anything i mean i haven't heard that the trade is being rescinded so um yeah i would assume that it went well but yes he was in milwaukee uh for his physical uh today on uh on Wednesday. So uh, that is going to be it for us. We went super long. That is not surprising, but thank you for all the questions to kind of clear up anything else you might have been concerned about with Eric Bledsoe. And that is going to be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks, and we will talk to you later.